We're going to get right into it tonight. A um, lot to talk about tonight and tomorrow night's messages are connected. So I want to make sure I finish this part so we can get to tomorrow's part on time. If you have your Bibles, turn in your Bibles to the book of James, uh, chapter 2, verse 19 and 20 is where we're going to start with our scripture reading. Uh, and then we're going to go to the book of Daniel. So Jack, James chapter 2, 19 and 20 reads like this. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Faith without works is dead. Let us pray. Our message tonight is lifestyle of faith. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to study your word, your truth, and even these complex times in which we live. Once again, Lord, I just ask you, make me a nail on the wall, a rusty, sorry nail, Lord, but upon that nail I ask that you hang a portrait of Jesus Christ. Let me not be seen or heard tonight, Father. Instead, Lord, let us hear a word from the throne room of grace. Instruct us, Lord. Fill us with your Holy Spirit is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're going to go to the book of Daniel, the sixth chapter, Daniel chapter six. We're going to start at verse one. We're going to start tonight, finish this story tomorrow night. Um, there is just so much in the book of Daniel um, that we are going to, to hit. So last night we talked about finding God in a godless society. Uh, tonight we deal with lifestyle of faith. Tomorrow night we're going to deal with prophecy and the importance of prophecy even for young people. And so we land in the book of Daniel, and we will, you'll see as we go through this that um, we are going to start going deeper and deeper um, into God's word and into, into some serious uh, concepts and ideas. Daniel 6 and verse 1 says, It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 princes, which should be over the whole kingdom. And over these three presidents of whom Daniel was first, that the princes might give accounts unto them and the king should have no damage. This story of Daniel is a story of consistent faithfulness. It's, we often probably overlook how unlikely it would be for Daniel to start out as a child, just a boy, taken in captivity to Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar. The influence of one Christian young person causes the conversion of the mightiest man in the world, Nebuchadnezzar. Two generations later, when Nebuchadnezzar's grandson is on the throne, Daniel explains to him in a banquet hall one night after an invisible hand writes on the plaster, meeny, meeny, tikalu, farsin, that in fact his kingdom would be taken. And Daniel is there when uh, the Medo-Persian Empire comes in and takes Babylon over. It is highly unlikely, if you just think about it for a second, that the conqueror would keep any of the dignitaries of the previous empire. 
That would really make no sense whatsoever. Daniel was such a man of character, of goodwill, that anybody who spent just a few moments with him saw his value. He survives the transition of power. And not only does he survive it, he thrives. Here now he is president, first president uh, of three presidents who rule over the princes so that the king, Darius, receives no damage. It is a powerful, powerful testament that when you serve God, God can put you in the right place. Verse 3, then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king thought to set him over the whole realm. Daniel became the favored, and the king wanted to put him even in a higher position. Daniel 6 and verse 4 says, Then the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom. Watch this but they could find none occasion nor fault for as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. They sat and began to plot. How can we get Daniel? They were jealous. They had, they drank the haterade. They wanted Daniel out. But when they went to find a way to trip him up, even his enemies came to the conclusion that there was no fault in him. This is just like Pilate. When he had Jesus standing next to him on one side and Barabbas on the other, he turned to the Sanhedrin uh, who were accusing Jesus and said, I find no fault in him. Three times Pilate says that. Here, Daniel, they can find no fault no reason, no error, no sin, nothing that they could bring blame against Daniel. Verse 5. Then said these men, we shall not find any occasion against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. What a statement, church. They could find nothing to get, you know, it's funny because I wonder if, how many of us, if they were trying to find a reason to get us out, could find a reason against us? Daniel, they could find nothing. They realized that the only way you could trip Daniel up is to, is to come between him and his God. They, they, they would have to find a way to do it. And, and I want to ask a question to set up not just tonight's talk, but tomorrow night's talk. I want to ask a question. Can this happen now? Are we living in a time, young people, where uh, laws could be passed that would make us have to choose between serving God and serving man? Could it happen now? We won't answer this question completely tonight. We're going to deal with it tomorrow night. But before we get deeper into this story of, for tonight, let me read you what the Great Controversy, page 605, says. The Sabbath will be the great test of loyalty. For it is the point of truth especially controverted. When the final test shall be brought to bear unto men, then the line of distinction will be drawn between those who serve God and those who serve him not. While the observance of the fall Sabbath in compliance with the law of the state, contrary to the fourth commandment, will be an avowal of allegiance to a power that is in opposition to God, 
the keeping of the true Sabbath in obedience to God's law is an evidence of loyalty to the creator. While one class, by accepting the sign of submission to earthly powers, received the mark of the beast, the other, choosing the token of allegiance to divine authority, received the seal of God. That's from The Great Controversy, page 605. Let me say something to you young people. Tonight and tomorrow night, we're going to deal with some of the things that influence our minds. What I want to submit to you is that you do not one day get stamped with the, the mark of the beast or the seal of God out of happenstance. I, right now, the spirit of prophecy tells us we are preparing for one of two marks. Today, with what we watch and listen to, with how we communicate with our friends, we are preparing our minds to receive one of two marks, either a mark of the beast or the seal of the living God. And, and we're going to get deeper into this, but I want to submit to you that our very minds, the frontal lobe of our minds, is where this will happen. And, and beginning tonight and continuing through the week, we will talk about how the devil seeks to manipulate the mind so that we are unfit for God's seal. Well, back to Daniel. Daniel 6 and verse 6 says, Then these presidents and princes assembled together to the king and said unto him, King Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom, the governors and the princes, the counselors and the captains have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any God or man for 30 days, save of thee, O king, he shall be cast into the den of lions. They went back and they began to strategize. They said, okay, how do we get Daniel? We can't get Daniel with women. Nope, that won't work. Maybe money. Somebody said, no, Daniel, Daniel no, Daniel's an honest man. He'll actually give you extra change if he thinks there's a question. No, can't get Daniel with money. And so, well, maybe we'll get Daniel because he, we can get him to, to, to lie to defend his honor. They said, no, da Daniel, Daniel won't lie. They said, well, we got to come up with something. They said, well, he will always put his God first. If we can convince the king to put together a decree that says that anyone who asks of anything but the king, anything from any God or man, except they ask it of the king, that they have to be tossed into the den of lions. They said, oh, this is perfect. The king's, in, you know, this will feed his ego. He'll like this. It seems harmless. And they come up with this plan. Daniel 6 and verse 8, it says, Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing that it be not changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. This law, when the Medes and Persians, when they made a law and their leaders signed it, you could not go back and change it. In America, we're fortunate to have a system where the Supreme Court can go back and look at a law and decide that it isn't right, even if the precedence was set by the Supreme Court like the Dred Scott decision. They were able to go back and, and change that, which was a, a bad law. But now, in this time, Daniel doesn't have that advantage. If, 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 the, if, if Darius decides to sign the law, it's fixed forever. And on his honor, he cannot change it. The Bible says in Daniel 6 and verse 9, Darius signed the writing and the decree. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, that is 
probably one of the most meaningful statements in this chapter. When Daniel knew that the decree was signed. I want to submit to you that Daniel didn't just know that the decree was signed. I believe Daniel knew why they had the king sign it. I don't believe Daniel, uh, by happenstance, continues to pray. I believe Daniel wanted to make a statement to his enemies that he would rather die than stop serving his God. Now, here's where it gets even deeper. The Bible says that Daniel went into his house and his windows being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem. He kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. Daniel doesn't just understand what's going on and, and, and say, you know what, I'm not going to stop praying, but I am going to close my windows. I want to submit to you that if you are a Christian, you've got to be the kind of Christian that is not ashamed so you can leave your window open. In fact, I ask you, young people, is your window open for God? Have you closed it? Would would Daniel have sinned if he shut his window? There's no Bible verse that says you have to pray with your window open. This was a statement that Daniel was making that even when the, when the world could look in and see what was going on, Daniel was so proud of his God and of his relationship with his God that Daniel left the window open. Let me tell you something. We've got a lot of Christians today that try to have the kind of Christianity that works like a chameleon. Whatever atmosphere and situation we're in, we just kind of blend in. Let me tell you something, as we're going to talk about uh, a bit more tonight and for sure tomorrow night, the time is coming, young person, when you are going to have to dare to be a Daniel. You're going to have to be bold enough and brave enough to stand for God, even though it seems the heavens will fall. You've got to have the courage of Daniel. My Bible says that Daniel didn't change anything about his routine. He left his window open knowing that his enemies would see him because Daniel remembered what happened with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He was not worried about the consequences. If you're going to live a lifestyle of faith, which is what Daniel lived, there's a lot I could talk about. But I'm impressed to give you these three things. The first one is that Daniel made time for God. God was never an afterthought for Daniel. God took precedence in his life. That's number one. Number two, Daniel went into the fight with spiritual muscle. The problem with some of us, we think that we're going to be spiritually weak. We can play with the world, party with the world, uh, do all the things the world does. And when the time of trouble comes, all of a sudden we're going to rip off our shirt and turn into a Christian hero. Daniel left his window open, number three, because Daniel had nothing to hide. So let's look at these three things. Number one, Daniel made time for God. I I can tell you that all my life, I've I've, I've had a pressured life. In, In high school, I really enjoyed hard classes, so I would take advanced placement classes, honors classes, I was unfortunate. I, I was not able to go to Adventist school. Um, and my first time I 
attended an Adventist school was when I went to Oakwood University, a freshman in college. All the other times I was in secular school. So, um, you know, the, oftentimes the coursework was grueling. And in high school, I didn't always make time for God. But I tell you what, it was funny. If I had a really hard test, I sure did find time to pray. Daniel wasn't a fair weather friend of God. God took precedence. And so Daniel always made time to pray, to study the Bible. Daniel fasted, we are told in the book of Daniel. Daniel fasted. Daniel, Daniel fellowshiped with other believers like he did with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And Daniel was a witness. Those are the pillars that you have to stand on as a Christian. Daniel also embraced a lifestyle of the health message of his day, as you see in Daniel chapter 1. Daniel took all of these things serious. Daniel 6.10, Daniel went into his house and three times a day, he got down on his knees, prayed and gave thanks to his God. Even though it could cost him his life, he praised God. I want to ask you something, young people tonight. What do you spend your time doing? How much time has been set aside for God? If you're going to live a lifestyle of faith, lifestyle means time spent. Well, what does the science say and the studies say? Well, in this magazine, Court says even teens are worried they spend too much time on their phones. So they have research showing that the kids are very worried about how much time they spend on their phones. The phone itself can be addicting. And so on this, on this slide, a little hard, harder to read, but, but I'll, I'll give you the gist of it. What they found is that um, the tweens, if you look at the top graph, spend, 27% um, um, of them spend four to eight hours a day um, with screen media, and 11% spend over eight hours on screen media. The bottom one is for teenagers, and you see those who spend over eight hours goes from 11% to 26%. Eight hours a day is a job. Like literally, you could work and make money in eight hours. And 21% spend four to eight hours. In America today, kids have been absorbed into social media. It is very addicting. In fact, someone was explaining to me that even the way that they make the screen on your phone scroll, so that you scroll up, it's like a bottomless pit. You never reach the end of the posts or of the stories or whatever it is. You just keep, you can scroll all day. And I don't have most of these, I don't know how most of them work, but I know that some of them you scroll up and it's designed so that you continue to stay attached. What I didn't know also is that these, many of these things actually collect information about you. When you click on a story, that information is taken and stored somewhere. Can you imagine one day, if like Daniel, they came against you, what would they find you were clicking on? The majority of teens admit to excessive cell phone usage. You can see here uh, how many of them are on their cell phones. How, the, the red bars, they spend too much time on the phone. You see that? 54%. And then they say on the foot, 52% have tried to cut back. When it comes to social media, 41% say they spend too much time, less than on their phones, even though most of them are doing social media on their phone. Kind of a funny thing there. 57% say they've tried to cut back the time they're doing social media. 
Video game players seem to have the least amount of regret. <laughs> but 58%, the highest number of those polled, highest percentage of those polled, said that they have tried to cut back their time spending video games. I'm not going to get into video games. We're going to get a little more into social media and then into television. Because I want to talk about time. Time on earth is short, young people. When I was a teenager, I thought I would live forever. I, I didn't think there was a, I thought you, you'd, you, their time would go on forever. If someone was 30 years old, I thought they were an old, old person. I remember one nurse when I was working at Loma Linda, she, she turned 30 years old. The, the woman was bawling, boohooing. She cried that she turned 30. And I remember asking her, what, what's the alternative? If you don't, either you turn 30 or you die. Like you, you can't go backwards. Seems like you're young and you're going to live forever, but you do not have all the time in the world. In fact, in, in Revelation chapter 12, the Bible tells us that when Satan was finally and forever cast out of heaven, the, the, the angel proclaims, woe unto you inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil has come down among you having great wrath. Why does the devil have great wrath? Why is he angry? Because the devil knows he has a short time. Here's what's deep, church. The devil knows he has a short time and seems like none of us think we do. What about the social media? Well, I was looking. There's a lot I could say about it, but one article points this out. They said that one of the things that social media can do is that it can take a, take, create a lack of interest in studies. That's the number one worry that these researchers had. Number two, increased demand for money. I didn't know this, but some of these things that people do actually cost money that on the, on the, in social media. Number three, women are often harassed through social media. I've even seen posts on, um, on, um, on even on LinkedIn, a professional one, where women are saying that they're hit on and harassed. Number four, influence of wrong personalities. We watch these people take pictures with their fancy jewelry and their nice cars, and we start to want what they have. Their, their, their neglect of God, their, their materialism, their selfishness, their pride. The fifth one says there's an increase cases, increased cases of crime even. But what they don't list here is another one. The, the time that this takes from you spending with God. How much time is lost because we are not spending time with God doing all of these things. And I would challenge you that when the call comes to fast, we often think you have to fast from food. In this day and age, I'd challenge you, take a, a, a social media fast. And see if you replace social media time with Bible study um, and singing and prayer, family worship time, even, even watching edifying Christian things, what would happen? Well, in my day, it wasn't social media. It was television. But, of course, I've learned the devil doesn't take things away. He adds things. People used to think radio would disappear because television came into existence. Like they thought the Internet would take away television. But it all just grows so that there's more and more information out there to confuse us. Young people, I want you to see that when you watch television, one of the things that happens is it actually affects your brainwave. So where you want to be as a Christian is up here in Gamma. You get heightened perception. You think more clearly. You see more clearly. Isaiah 118, come let us reason together. Your perception is there. 
The Bible says to be sober, to be vigilant. Those are gamma wave words. That your mind is sharp and you see what's going on. As you move down the spectrum, you, you move into a state where you're less and less aware. You can be awake, but almost like you're um, uh, in a state of, of sleep and awake, down at like alpha waves. What the science tells us is this. A lot of research has been done around television viewing and children. Adam Lipsum, a neurosurgeon uh, with the IGEA Brain and Spine, says one of the best studies is from Tohoku University in Japan. They noted thickening of the frontopolar cortex, which is related to verbal reasoning ability, and also a correlated with a drop in IQ in proportion to the number of hours of television watching. He says, in addition, they noticed thickening of the visual cortex in the back of your brain, in the occipital lobe, and in the hypothalamus, which may correlate with aggression. The television watching begins to... Don't miss this. Change the very neuroanatomy of your brain so that you do not have the same brain. The scripture says to have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Television puts you into a state of sleep so that when you watch things, the information that comes through, it's difficult to parse it out and to reject what you don't want so that it has more of an influence because you're not in gamma wave function, you're in alpha wave function. And then you watch it so much that it changes the mind. What is most frightening is it drops IQ. But your ability to reason, to think, to learn, to excel is damaged. There have been EEG, which are electroencephalogram studies, that demonstrate that television watching converts the brain from beta wave activity to alpha waves, which are associated with a dreaming state and a reduced use of critical thinking skills. Eric Braverman, founder and president of Path Foundation New York, a nonprofit research organization devoted to brain health, is a little more blunt. Television mesmerizes people and turns them into intellectual spectators. It feeds passivity and makes you less engaged. If you're a child or if you're a young person and you want to do better in school and you watch more than two hours of television a day, I would write a prescription for you that says cut television out to less than an hour a day or cut it out completely. By default, because of the way your brain would be become sharpened and the extra time you'd have for studies, your grades would naturally drift up. But if it does that to academic studies, what happens to our ability to connect to God? Remember, we'll talk more about this later in the week, but it is your mind. It's the frontal lobe. This is the most holy place. If your body is the sanctuary, the most holy part of the sanctuary is the frontal lobe. It's the part of your brain that makes you to reason. We'll get more detail in that later on. So if you're doing something regularly that blunts the way the frontal lobe works, Isaiah says in Isaiah 118 again, come let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be like crimson, they shall be as wool. It is a reasoning process. Salvation means you are in dialogue with God. 
that you're thinking straight, that you're not deceived. Jesus, when he was talking to the disciples about end time events, he says, do not be deceived. And the Greek word for deceived is plotneo, which means to be led away. It means that you are in a mindset like a sheep who can just be walked into destruction. Modern media does that. Changes the human mind. In fact, this study research has long established that teens who watch movies or listen to music that glamorizes drinking, drug use, or violence tend to engage in those behaviors themselves. A 2012 study shows that movies influence teens' sexual attitudes and behaviors as well. The study published in Psychological Science, and let me say this, none of the stuff I'm presenting to you on this comes from Christian or Adventist sources. These are secular sources saying this. Psychological science found that the more teens were exposed to sexual content in movies, the earlier they started having sex and the likelier they were to have casual, unprotected sex. Could it be that literally you can watch TV and it lower your moral guard? That's what these psychologists are saying. Here's what Ellen White says, letter one, page, letter one, 1887. She says, Satan stands ready to infatuate the mind and soul to pursue a course directly contrary to God's expressed will, that he may separate that soul from God, and he interposes his temptations and gains control over the mind and the heart's affections. This is Satan's studied plan to lead souls to turn from one mighty in counsel to the persuasion of minds who have no love for God, no love for the truth. The first thing, Daniel made time for God. When the time of trouble comes, there will be no more time for preparation. For any of us who played sports, organized sports, or even individual sports, um, you know, in high school or, or in college or wherever, you, you, or you remember, you, you don't get to get game ready at the game or in the game. Great basketball players are great because they spend time when nobody's looking in the gym all by themselves shooting shots. Larry Bird, one of my favorite players, would get to the gym hours before the game and start shooting. He would hit all these circus shots during the game, and everyone said, wow, they don't realize that time, Jordan did that, Magic did that. These great players spent time. If they do it, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27, if they do it to, to obtain a corruptible crown, they do it for NBA titles and Super Bowl rings. If they can be diligent and faithful to a cause for something that one day Peter says is going to melt like the elements in fervent heat, how much more should we be willing to dedicate our time to a crown of life? We'll talk more about the Sabbath later on, but I want to submit to you that when it comes to quality and quantity time, how you keep the Sabbath matters. I have to thank God for the Sabbath. I don't, th- I don't know. I would not be where I am if it wasn't for the Sabbath. The Sabbath comes with the promise. Isaiah says that if you keep the Sabbath, God will cause you to ride upon the high places of the earth. Sabbath keeping protected me, even in medical school, when everybody else would study on the Sabbath. There were only a handful of us Adventists at the University of Miami. Just a hand, just four of us. 
And there was one Jewish young lady, and, and, and she and one of the other Adventists and myself, every single Friday night, uh, um, Saturday night, would have to come together after the Sabbath hours, because Friday night, we, we left when everybody else stayed and studied, and they studied all day Saturday. And I remember even one of the deans telling me to stop keeping the Sabbath. You should study on the Sabbath. And we never did. God blessed us to get through school in four years with no problems. There's a blessing in keeping the Sabbath. We'll, we'll hit more of that later on in the week. But Daniel also kept his faith muscles strong. How did he do that? Well, one thing is trials can be used to develop character, but they also reveal character. Trials can develop character, but they also reveal character. Judas looked of all the disciples like the one with the strongest character. He was the one the other 11 thought belonged in the group. Trials showed that Judas's character was not real. It's also important to note that neither difficulty nor prosperity changed the way Daniel dealt with God. And I want to submit to you that the devil is just as good at using success to destroy people as he is failure. Jesus says this, Revelation 3.18, to the church of Laodicea, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. Verse 19 has become one of my favorite Bible verses, Revelation 3.19. It says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, be zealous therefore and repent. My Bible tells me that when difficulty comes in my life, it is evidence of Christ's love. It's not the opposite. It is literally the evidence. God chastens us. He rebukes us. Why? So that we will be zealous. We will be excited about repentance, about returning to him, about becoming more humble. Look at what Ellen White says. Great Controversy, page 621. The assaults of Satan are fierce and determined. His delusions are terrible, but the Lord's eye is upon his people. And his ears listens to their cries. Their affliction is great. The flames of the furnace seem about to consume them. But the refiner will bring them forth as gold tried in the fire. God's love for his children during the period of their severest trial is as strong and tender as in the days of their sunniest prosperity. But it is needful for them to be placed in the furnace of fire. Their earthliness must be consumed. That the image of Christ may be perfectly reflected. Great Controversy, page 621. Let me tell you something, young people. If you are going through a hard time, if people at school are giving you trouble, if you're having difficulties with your parents, if, if, if you're having financial trouble, I want to submit to you that my Bible tells me that God will allow you to pass through the furnace of that experience and burn away the dross, the unwanted aspects of your character. So that you come out the other side like pure gold. Ellen White says, the furnace fires are not to destroy, but to refine, ennoble, sanctify. Without trial, we would not feel so much our need of God and his help, and we would become proud and self-sufficient. In the trials that come to us, we should see the evidence that the Lord's eye is upon us and that he means to draw us to himself. It is not the whole, but the wounded who need a physician. It is those who are pressed almost beyond the point of endurance who need a helper. It is because we are tried. 
talked about this a little bit last night, that we see our need for him. God's eye is always on you. I said it last night. I'll say it again tonight. If you're going through difficulty and trial, ask God, what are you trying to teach me? The last one, Daniel had no secret life. You see, sin, especially secret sin, weakens the Christian. Jeremiah 16, 17, and 18 says it like this. For mine eyes are upon all their ways. They are not hid from my face. Neither is their iniquity hid from mine eyes. And first, I will recompense their iniquity and their sin double because they have defiled my land and they have filled mine inheritance with the carcasses of their detestable and abominable ways. First of all, secret sin is a misnomer. God sees everything. I don't care how much time you spend in the no-tell motel, God sees it all. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear, but your iniquity, your sin, has separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. You wonder why your prayers aren't heard, why your relationship with God isn't the way you want it to be. It is because the secret sins in our lives. And yeah, you can hide some of this stuff from your parents. You might even be able to hide it from the church folk, but you can't hide it from God. Secret sin must be dealt with. And we'll talk about things as, as deep as pornography addiction and so forth later on in the week. But if you have sin in your life that is not confessed and repented, God is a forgiving and loving God. His hand is not shortened to save, says Isaiah. But you can't hold on to sin and ask him to pull you out of the water at the same time. Ellen White says it like this, there are multitudes today as truly under the power of evil spirits as was the demoniac of Capernaum. All who willfully depart from God's commandments are placing themselves under the control of Satan. Many a man tampers with evil thinking that he can break away at pleasure, but he is lured on and on until he finds himself controlled by a will stronger than his own. He cannot escape its mysterious power. Secret sin or master passion may hold him a captive as helpless as was the demoniac of Capernaum. Yet his condition is not hopeless. Watch this, young people. God does not control our minds without our consent. But every man is free to choose what power he will have to rule over him. None have fallen so low, none are so vile that they may def- that they may find uh, but that they may find deliverance in Christ. No cry from a soul in need, though it fail of utterance in words, will be unheeded. Those who consent to enter into covenant with God are not left to the power of Satan or to the infirmity of their own nature. Ministry of Healing, page ninety-two and ninety-three. I submit to you young people something very important. No matter how far you've gone, you have not outsinned God's ability to save you. No matter how dark the secret sin is, if you'll shine the light of Christ on it, he will deliver you. Tomorrow night we're going to talk a bit more about Daniel and how God delivered him and how that fits to us prophetically today. But I want to submit to you that Daniel was not afraid of standing for God. James 2, 19 and 20 says again, thou believest that there is one God. James says, thou doest well. 
It's good that you believe there's one God. He says, don't forget, the devils also believe and tremble. It's not enough to just believe, young people. Your belief must be actuated. It must mean that you live a different life. It must be internalized so that you believe and the belief transforms you by the power of the Holy Spirit. But what wilt thou know, O vain man? Faith without works is dead. Last couple of texts, uh, passages. As we near the close of this world's history, the prophecies recorded by Daniel demand our special attention. As they relate to the very time in which we are living, with them should be linked the teachings of the last book of the New Testament scriptures. Satan has led many to believe that the prophetic portions of the writings of Daniel and of John the Revelator cannot be understood. But the promise is plain. A special blessing will accompany the study of these prophecies. As we near the close of the, this world's history, the prophecies recorded by Daniel demand our special attention as they relate to the very time in which we are living. With them should be linked the teachings of the last book of the New Testament scriptures. Satan has led many to believe that these books cannot be understood. But the promise is plain that a special blessing will accompany the study of these prophecies. So tomorrow night, I will ask you the question, where will you focus? Where will you look to? I want to submit to you tonight that somebody needs to be liberated. And I know my time is up, but let me just say this. I'm a Christian because of the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm not a Christian because our belief system is more uh, eloquent or elegant than anyone else's. I'm not a Christian because our theological uh, uh, answers are, are better than anyone else's. I'm a Christian because Christianity is the singular religion that says that you cannot save yourself that the God that you worship is intimately involved, in fact, is the author and the finisher of our faith. Young person, I want you to understand that you do not have to grit your teeth and fight through your difficulties, your challenges, or your weaknesses in order to be saved. What you must do is submit. You must turn your eyes on Jesus. That's where your focus must be. When you focus on Christ, the old hymn says, the things of this earth will grow strangely dim. And as we go through the rest of this week, we're going to begin to hit these things really hard. But I challenge you, young person, even tonight, begin to talk to God about where in your life change is needed. Begin to turn over to him the secret things. And when he lightens up your life, transformation will happen. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to study your word again. In the first part of this study on Daniel chapter 6. And I pray, Father God, that each one of us would have the courage to leave our windows open. That we would have the kind of life that even when our enemies seek to come against us, they can find no fault in us. I pray, Father God, that even when we know a trap is being set, we would still be a witness for you even if it means putting ourselves in harm's way. Lord, let each one of us dare to be a Daniel, to live a lifestyle of faith. This is our prayer in Jesus' precious. And Lord, let me just say this before I close. Give victory to that young person out there who needs victory over their secret sin. Tonight, Lord, send your Holy Spirit and by the power of your blood, 
set them free. This is our prayer in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.